Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. My thanks for our sponsor this week, Hayloft Plants. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views and a bit of timely advice on all things gardening. Later on, I'll be chatting with John Anderson, Keeper of the Gardens at Windsor Great Park goodness he's a really wonderful gardener can't wait to have a chat to hear what's going on in the Savile and the Valley Gardens meanwhile another wet day in the floral fantasia area at RHS Gardens Hyde Hall last Wednesday where six of us planted up the 84 cultivars in the Rudbeckia trial close on 900 plants. It was one of those days when a break in the rain tempted the removal of all the waterproof clothing because you were too hot, only to get soaked before getting them back on when another shower blew through. Good weather for the plants, uh, but not so good for the planters. And then by the weekend, temperatures soared. The wind got up and it was a real challenge trying to keep everything watered. I welcomed the arrival of seven of the Begonia Beak cultivars from Benari in Germany. It included the new Begonia Beak White with green leaves. What a cracker this is. I mean, all those plants really shine, both the foliage and the flowers. Come wind, rain and shine. Well, just give them a few more weeks because we've spaced them pretty well apart in their own bed and they'll be making a spectacular show pretty close to the entrance at the top of the garden. Now, it's all systems go in the garden and the harvest season has started just down the road in a small garden that I tend, the cherry sunburst, quite a biggish tree now, is absolutely laden with fruit. The blackbirds have started on it, but there's so much fruit there, uh, there should be enough for them and us. And then uh, back home, raspberry autumn treasure and uh, polka are cropping pretty well, and it's a full-time job trying to get this stuff picked. At least the uh, meteor peas have finished. I'm stripping those out and uh, replacing them with another late sowing. But the broad beans, got the variety Sutton, in a quarter pallet container. And they're now ready to pick. And to go with some really lovely new accent potatoes that are lifting 
pretty well in the polytunnel. So, as I say, it's all systems grow. Actually, when it comes to cherries, they were a difficult crop, particularly the edible kinds, because uh, they made pretty big trees and you needed at least two because the cross-pollination was quite tricky. Now we have the dwarfing rootstock, Gisella, which keeps the size down, and a number of new introductions of really good edible cherries. The one I'm picking is called Sunburst, and it's a rich red, and pretty good to eat, I have to tell you. Cherries can, of course, be fan-trained, and the uh, traditional cultivar, particularly for north walls, was the cherry Morello. Boy, that's sharp if uh, you eat that raw, but a very good cooking cherry. Whilst I have a, a surfeit of cherries, the story about apricots is not so good. I see there's just two fruits on uh, quite a big tree, and I've got my eye on them because uh, it looks as if one is getting a bit close to ripening, and I'd like to have that before the birds get at it. Actually, uh, talking about birds, at Hyde Hall, a number of visitors have been commenting that the edges of the lawns have been torn up. If you go up to the uh, hilltop and the original farmhouse, there's a really beautiful view down across the lawns uh, and across to the south. And this uh, pretty well perfect turf has been... Um, ripped up. I thought it might have been badgers or foxes, but apparently it's two crows that are nesting in a tree in the garden. And as soon as the visitors disappear, apparently down they come and absolutely tear up the turf. We read and hear a lot about attracting wildlife into the garden. I can tell you, I'd be pretty wild if uh, I was in charge of those perfect lawns and saw them torn up night after night by crows. Yes, I feel much as I do at present with a mole going down my veg plot and pushing up molehills all the way underneath the recently planted croissants. Wildlife in the garden can make you pretty wild. It's not just all blue tits hopping about eating the green fly. I'm afraid there are some problems too. Into Hyde Hall, uh, Matt was uh, clearing the last of his winter greens, uh, went to pull up a big kale plant uh, and, and, and found a blackbird had nested with four young. So if you're visiting his veg plot and you see a rather untidy patch under a big black net, bear with it. He has to wait until the youngsters have flown before he can fetch those out. He is, of course, busy planting winter greens, and now's a very good time to get at that job if you've got a little bit of space. Although finding uh, plants on garden centres could be a bit tricky. The demand for all of that kind of plant material is pretty heavy. And of course many of the bedding plant growers that would have been sowing and transplanting those things in uh, April and early May were closed down on many of the staff on furlough. So uh, it could be uh, very difficult 
to find plants. There'd be time to sow kale, particularly if you're going to harvest it, as a young seedling. I'm very pleased to introduce John Anderson, the keeper of the gardens at Windsor Great Park. So we're in very distinguished company today. John, when we first met, you were a head gardener in Ireland. And unlike today, which is a gloriously sunny day here in Essex, it was typically Irish weather, a bit wet, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, Peter. That's, that was a typical. And you know what? We needed the wet. That lovely, lush Mandusha Gardens along the River Vartry at the sort of the base of the sort of the Wicklow Hills and only a couple of miles from the sea. Absolutely. We loved getting those soft, damp days. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the plastic mac and the leggings that the Americans <laughs> bought me for that event. <laughs> And I remember a very beautiful, long-needled pine. Oh, yeah. Well, that was that wonderful Mexican blue pine, that Pinus Montezuma, that was sort of almost, as you say, glaucous blue, like a chimney sweep pine, we used to call it, because of the five needles which were horizontal and that wonderful shape. I believe it was planted in something like 1909. Goodness. And yeah. it came to the Walpoles from Viscount Powers Court. Right. But John, then you left that lovely island of Ireland and came here. After sort of 20 years, um, I think one sort of reflects on one's life and I thought I felt that was a stage where I probably needed to move on. Um, I was very fortunate in 20 years. I went to Kew Gardens and I studied there for three years, which was absolutely wonderful. I met some great people, which I'm still in contact. And then I decided uh, I would go on a bit of a tour. I went to Australia for three to four months touring around um, with a wonderful lady who's now my wife, Lucy. And uh, <laughs> it was a way to get to know each other in a tent. I think you did that all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we travelled all around um, Tasmania and the sort of southern, eastern, west parts of Australia looking at some wonderful plants. And then we came back and said, right, we need to, I need to get a job. So Inverview Gardens came up for the National Trust for Scotland and I applied and was very fortunate to get the job. And it was always one of those dream gardens that I wanted to go and see anyway. Talk about rain. I thought it used to be quite wet on the east coast of Ireland, but uh, on the west coast of Scotland, it was up to about nearly six feet a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit different where you are now. Four years ago, almost to the day, Peter, almost to the day, um, a very good friend of mine, sadly, had, had passed away, Mark Flanagan, who was the previous keeper and uh, way too short a life. And I got a phone call to say, would I be interested? And, of course, this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I came for the interviews. There wasn't just one interview. There were many interviews and different stages of, of uh, over three months. And eventually I was very, very fortunate to get the job. And what a wonderful job it is. Must be one of the best gardening jobs in Britain, if not the world. It's one of the, it is certainly one of the best jobs, one of the most amazing, eclectic group of gardens. It's not just one garden. There are several gardens to look after. And of course, Her Majesty's private garden at Frogmore, which is that wonderful sort of classic um, picturesque style back in the sort of 18th century. I, I hadn't really realised that you looked after Frogmore as well. 
you know, I, I would have thought the Valley Gardens and Savile Gardens was enough. <laughs> well, you know what's gardeners, Peter? Um, you just sort of keep going and I have a smile on my face every day because not only is there wonderful places, but there's wonderful staff and you really can't, you know, do it without great staff. Well-trained horticulturists that love their job going out and working in a variety of different habitats and woodlands and so on is a, is a joy to work with. Yeah, but, 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 John, you know, I've met a Majesty the Queen on a few occasions, I'm always nervous. I mean, presumably, uh, she's your boss. You meet her on occasion. Are you nervous? Yes, <laughs> yes. I think um, I had this wonderful, wonderful occasion when Her Majesty, with the uh, Duke of Edinburgh, was coming to visit uh, Savile Gardens of an evening, and uh, there was a small party of us, and it was really the first occasion, um, perhaps in the job, that I was going to be uh, walking around with Her Majesty and. I recall there was a, a, a lovely evening, like this evening, and uh, about this time of the year, and uh, you know, getting on well, showing sort of the plants. And when Her Majesty sort of asked, you know, were the Himalayan blue poppies in flower? And thankfully, thankfully, there was a nice clump of them in flower. Nothing like perhaps they would grow in Scotland or in the north of England, but for down south at Windsor, there was about eight or nine beautiful stems with these wonderful blue flowers and it looked a real picture so my, my heart was thumping that, that evening <laughs> you know to make sure they were putting on a good display and they were so i was delighted well they're really difficult aren't they oh. for us in in dry rainfall areas yeah it's a challenge peter it's a challenge yeah i, I have managed to get them flower once in my garden in the shade but boy it was hard work yeah. yeah, well, I didn't for you. I mean, we had plants in the vegetable garden, a whole lines of them, and all the way up through the woodland garden. And I had one named uh, called Inverview. Um, I think it was a Dr. Evelyn Stevens who was working on the Mechanopsis in Perthshire, was sort of renaming them and bring, grouping them together. And she asked if there was one that we could name Inverview, and I said yes. I've had one, one special one. So it was, that was a great, a great privilege. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, now, in your day job now, how do you set about it? I mean, do you have long-term views? Do you have a master plan that you work to? Well, I think I'm very fortunate that uh, the previous keepers um, from the days of sort of the deputy ranger of uh, Sir Eric Saville coming through to Hope Finlay uh, and then John Bond and lastly the Mark Flanagan, that there's been absolutely wonderful, wonderful knowledgeable people that um, have set a very good um, example of woodland gardening. And that has changed, you know, 
we tend to have to change uh, for the sort of the modern gardener. So part of the Savile over a number of years has gone through a sort of a transformation. So instead of your typical old-fashioned rose garden where you'd have either circular or canal beds with hybrid teas on one side or or floribundas on the other. We now have this sort of wonderful contemporary rose garden where it's in sort of designed by Andrew Wilson, a local designer, that encompasses both the rose and grasses. There's a wonderful little sort of bridge that takes you above the roses to not only capture the scent, but the view across parts of the garden. And it becomes the whole thing has become an integral part of that summer display, which sort of backs off on the herbaceous border, which leads into the Golden Jubilee Garden at this this time with all the sort of delphiniums rushing into flower. So there's a whole themed now part of the Savile. We have a winter garden, of course, which is probably one of the finest winter gardens in the country. And that leads then into a sort of autumn garden, summer wood, spring wood. So many features around waters and woodlands that has really captured the Savile Garden to many of our visitors. As you say, making it one of the finest gardens in the country. Uh, But it will have the mark of John Anderson in due course, will it? Yes, there will be little bits I've been looking at. Uh, you know, as one of the great things is that sometimes the staff must wonder, I might stand for 15 or 20 minutes sort of um, looking across a bank or looking into a, a wooded area. And the best I'm doing is I'm capturing what I feel is the improvements we can make. It might be a case of, you know, removing an alder tree so that we can open a view or a vista for the future. We can bring the alpine meadow closer to the building by perhaps doing a little pruning here, a little movement there. So, yeah, it's 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 great fun. And in the Valley Gardens, uh, I stood at the head of gardens for and I, and I stood there for many a day and a week studying that view before I made the decision of removing a, a rather special conifer, a Cunninghamia, a Chinese fir, which was quite rare. We had others in the collection. I took it out and it opened the whole view down towards Virginia water, which I always feel was the right view. And we have that borrowed landscape of the far side of the lake where we own the Crown Estate. We own some wooded areas leading up to uh, Belvedere Castle so or Fort, or Fort Belvedere. So that was a really good decision. And I, and the thing is, Peter, I brought all the staff along with me. You know, you talk to the staff and say, look, this is my plan. What do you think? This is the reason I'm doing it. And once the team are with you on this, then it makes it easier. Gardeners have to work together, don't they? I yes. remember speaking once to the head gardener on one of the National Trust properties. And, and I said to him, well, what do you do when the garden advisor comes? And he said, well, I listen carefully, he said and then do what I was always going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bit of that. I was at Exbury when I joined Exbury. I mean, I've never forgotten my interview. I sat down and there was something like six Rothschilds all dressed up in their in their sort of almost three-piece suits. And there was some external um, advisor. I think Professor Sir Gillian Prance was there, who was a former uh, director of Q. Yeah, and he's so a on. pretty formidable character. I've met him yes. once or twice. Yeah, and it, was, and it was like this sort of, you know, and um, I remember this question Mr. Edmund de Rothschild asked me. He, he sort of referred to the, the fact that was climate change was coming and there was a 250-acre gardens to be watered. And he said to me, how was I ever going to keep on top of the watering? And really not knowing the garden, knowing its history from what I read. And uh, I, I said to him sort of a bit tongue-in-cheek, almost as if to say, oh, well, that's me, I'm done now. I said, have you ever thought of moving? <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed, 
I noticed that his his um, younger brother, Mr. Leo the Rothschild, who was chairman of the board, had a smirk on his face, and he and uh, he said to me afterwards um, when I when I got the job, he says, "I like the way you handled that." <laughs> <laughs> And he said to me, I used to meet him occasionally out of work and stuff. And he says, your job is to run the gardens. You leave the family to me. Oh, right. Because everybody will have an opinion and everyone will have a say. He says, I don't like evergreen azaleas, but that doesn't mean we're going to take them out. Right, yes. And, and you, it, it does need to be um, a bit of a dictatorship, doesn't it? Somebody has to make decisions. If you've got committees, it's terribly difficult, I think, to run a garden. Yes, I think I think what I think you're absolutely right. I don't know. I'd use the word dictatorship, but I think what happens is if you're buying into a very experienced and knowledgeable person, you must allow them those few years to study and to understand the garden. Yeah. And once they have that understanding, they will holistically get to know where the windy spots are, where the wet spots are, where the dry areas are. You know why that shelter belt was planted there and not over there, and they, that all that information builds up very quickly. So when they come to make a decision or ask a board, you know, and that was the great thing at Exbury, the board did take on, on on some of the things I was asking them to do. I wasn't doing it just because I wanted to make my name. This was about improving the gardens for the future, for their future. Yeah. It was their well, it is. A, that's another stunning garden, Exbury, isn't it? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Wonderful people. If I could take you on a little bit, I mean, you're also very active now in the local horticultural society, if I could hardly call it that, and, and on a little sunflower-growing exercise. Isn't that a little bit off your beaten track? <laughs> no, I think what's really important, and you understand this more than perhaps most, Peter, is we're there to educate, we're there to help new and younger generations coming along in horticulture, even if it's just putting a sunflower in a pot or a container or a window ledge and watching people understand how it grows and then seeing the delight of young children or adults even of that matter who may never have grown much to see it come into flower and enjoy it and i think local building up local knowledge and local education is hugely important because for us when we want to employ new gardeners we love to know that perhaps there's local people that we can help and support nearly all of us that are enthusiastic and experienced gardeners started as very young children with a packet of seed. I mean, I certainly did. I started growing sweet peas when I was about six, you know. Well, I have true. I, when I grew up in, in Ireland and Dublin, my father loved to grow potatoes and the vegetables and tender roses and the lawns. And I used to be there on his heels helping him, especially wheeling a big old metal wheelbarrow full of horse manure that used to be delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I still get the dirty jobs at home. <laughs> <laughs> now, John, in these little chats that we have on our podcast, we ask for tips for gardeners. Yeah. Now, do you have a handy tip that you could pass on to uh, our listeners? I do, I do. And it's very interesting. When I was a student, we used to do lots of practicals. And I remember one of our lecturers, Dr. Paul Cusack, was showing us how to tie roses to a wall after we're pruned. And he said, and I still use this tip and I still pass it on, is when you take a branch or a stem of a rose or a climber, for all that matter, and you're going to tie it to a piece of wire or a trellis, he often said, Make the knot first on the wire or the trellis and then bring the stem of the rose or the climber or the fruit tree, whatever it may be, and tie the second knot. That stops it slipping and sliding and cutting into itself. 
and it also looks professional. I think, yeah, that's good sound advice. Tie the plant to the cane, not the cane to the plant. That's right. I saw you last autumn at the um, Fruits of Autumn show at Hyde Hall. Are you missing them this year? Yes, this is probably the first... In fact, I have missed them all this year. But you know what? I've actually quite enjoyed that. For the first time in probably 20 years, I've had most of, if not all of the weekends off in April and May. In a normal year, I would think six of those weekends, I'm either away somewhere judging or at a show or exhibiting or competing. So this is the first time it's been wonderful in one regards, but I can't wait to get back. And I can't wait too to, I love competing. I love going to the shows. It's, it's, it's so good. It's great banter between all the exhibitors. It's, it's, it's so, so um, rewarding. Win or not, I'm quite competitive. I like to win. <laughs> I know that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I don't mind being beaten by a better display. And that's the, the standards that we set in horticulture. And, uh, and for younger people coming along to exhibit and to show, I think is really important. John, thank you very much for spending time with us today. I congratulate you on all you do. Look forward to uh, meeting you in the very near future when this ghastly lockdown eases even more. And who knows, perhaps compete with you on the show bench. Well, Peter, it's always been a pleasure talking to you. You're a great inspiration to all horticulturists. And I remember years ago watching you on the television as I still read you in the various different magazines. So, Peter, keep going. You're a wonderful uh, ambassador for horticulture. Now then, now then. (laughs) All of it through, Peter. All of it through. Thanks very much. Now, what's news? Well, the European Union says the UK must remove restrictions on the import of Xyla disease-susceptible plants, including such things as lavender, rosemary, polygala, almonds and olives. Uh, But fortunately, our DEFRA remains adamant. It says we will continue to restrict imports because the last thing we want is to bring that uh, terrible Xyla disease, which could be devastating for our industry. There are 10 finalists listed from 48 entries in the Horticultural Trades Association Virtual Plant Awards 2020. They would previously have been judged at the National Plant Show at this time. I'll uh, bring you news of uh, which ones are selected as winners as soon as we hear. I hear that two Directors at the Royal Horticulture Society are to leave at the end of July. Gardens Director Sally Charlton is leaving after 12 years and Education Director Ruth Evans will leave after 11 years. They won't be replaced. Their roles will be taken up by uh, the remaining directors of horticulture and shows. One bit of sad news, I hear that Kenwyn Pearson, the eminent plantsman and horticulturist, died aged just 68. Ill health forced him to give up work in 2005 and he's had 15 years of ill health subsequent to that. He supported so many horticultural operations from a worshipful company of gardeners to the Gardeners Royal Benevolent Society the Professional Gardeners Guild, Plant Heritage and 
Q Guild. Goodness, he was uh, an energetic and a lovely character. A sad loss to the world of gardening. Now for my tailpiece. How about the proverb? A man of words and not deeds is like a garden full of weeds. Goodness, I know about weeds. Rain, then warm, humid weather makes them grow. And the best answer is a push-out once a week before you can even see them. At Hyde Hall, where the air has been full of ground seed, in just over an hour, I managed to hand weed out best part of a barrel load of weeds. Boy, you just need to keep at it. Uh, well, at least it will uh, provide plenty of compostable material. Look forward to speaking to you again next week. My thanks for our sponsor, Hayloft Plants. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.